Clemson podcast. Jim Harbaugh finally delivered in a big game. One blooming onion for all of America. UCF are national champions. Clemson is on to Furman. And life is a cruel simulation designed to make us feel sad. What's happening, everybody? You're somehow tuning into this show. So I'm curious, who hurt you? This is your host, Nick. I'm joined tonight by Ben and Cody. We are here to recap the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Clemson lost a tough one to Alabama. 24 to 6, and we are here to talk about it, mostly out of obligation. Uh, but I think we also are here, jokes aside, to try to figure out what happened, talk together uh, through this game. It's been a couple of nights. I think we, we've all um, slept on this one and have a little bit clearer minds. Some of the emotion is kind of burned away, guys. But um, talk to me about where, where you're feeling a couple days on. Well, the Clemson men's basketball team beat Boston College tonight. How about that? Can we talk about that instead? No, Sam's not here, so we'll do okay. a basketball show soon enough here. All right, fair enough. Well, it, you know, to be honest, uh, a couple days later here, if we would have lost last year, that would have hurt more than losing this year. When we lost the first year, we just felt good that we were there and we were able to go uh, toe-to-toe with Alabama. Um, and losing this year, it sucked the way it happened. It was embarrassing, make no mistake about it. Uh, Alabama was clearly the better team, uh, but it still doesn't quite hurt as much coming off the win from last year. And just to be honest, we didn't expect to be in this position this year. Now, being number one and going down like that, that surely sucks. But again, that just makes you really cherish the moments when you are on top. Listen, it's hard to win back-to-back national champions. I mean, there's only been, what, Alabama's only done it once this century. And then the last time it happened before that was in the mid-90s when Nebraska did it. So it doesn't happen often. So, I mean, I, I take, you know, solace in that. Yeah. Uh, consolation prizes, moral victories aside, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it does not sting as bad. Tolly and I did the episode in 2015. I don't know. I guess you were sick or you were at the game, Ben. I didn't quite m- make it back, I guess. But I didn't even listen to that episode. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people, for some reason, did. I guess they just, they like they like to hear, I don't know, they like to hear us pitch and moan. People it, trolling. It's yeah. a, the only podcast episode I've never listened to. Yeah, most listened to in the state of Alabama for some reason. But no, that, that game, because it was a two or three play swing where we just absolutely choked, like I think three very preventable plays, one being on special teams, that stung. Deshaun Watson was amazing all night. And we probably win two national championships back to back if we made plays. This game was not that. We were, we were outmatched, outclassed. 
And if anybody came in or they if they left this game thinking like what Dabo said that we were just a few plays or a few plays that made the difference, uh, you're you're yeah you're it's that's not right. It was uh, we were I think it, within that game people probably recalibrated to what the expectation should have been going in. Yeah, and I mean we we can talk a little bit about some of the the thoughts we had about the game in a preview setting. You know, kind of what went right, what went wrong against that, and why. I think that's a little bit what we're here to discuss today. But I mean, in my mind, this this did not. It was an 18 point game. It was a sound defeat. Um, but this was not an utter utter blowout. And I think that's credit to the defense what they were able to do. Um, we'll talk in a little bit here about you know what what that looked like. But um, it really became clear, I think, that number one, Bama obviously came to play, but they ended up being just a really bad matchup for Clemson, and and they 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 placed their bet on what they wanted to try to exploit. Um, against our offense and in their game plan. And um, lo and behold, it did work. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah, we mentioned in the preview episode, um, as far as Clemson game planning for Alabama, is that you want to identify their weaknesses and flaws and goes after them. And, well, that's exactly what Alabama did to Clemson. Um, and it worked quite effectively. Um, I think some of what we saw with Kelly Bryant this year um, in particular I think we probably got our hopes up too high, and some of that was smoke and mirrors and fool's gold. Um, he did play better than most of us expected, but I think Alabama um, had him regress back to what he probably is on average as a quarterback, and that is an average quarterback. Well, I think, you know, Ben, I, I, I think we'll spend a lot of time in this show talking about Kelly Bryant and sort of what, what they did look for and key in on. And, um, you know, I, as much as possible, I think we want to focus on recapping this game. Um, but I think you're right. Like what we saw throughout the year with Kelly um, did, especially toward the end with the Miami game in particular, you know, right. gave you gave you optimism and hope in this game. Well, and that just goes to show you. I mean, last year we were all high on the ACC and how well they did during bowl season. Well, you look at it this year, outside of Clemson, there's not a lot there in the ACC to go off of. Miami is not the team that we thought they were. Or other people thought they were. Um, they now suffered what three losses in a row. Um, kind of how Louisville did last year. Louisville's not the team. Um, you know, you know, they're not an elite team. Florida State, obviously, see what happened yeah, with them. So, yeah, it, but I don't want to go down the path of saying like we were fraudulent or our, our stock was trading a lot higher than it should have been. I don't, I don't think that was much as much what happened as as Alabama was just way undervalued and way, and they were just that damn good. Right, and, and, and think, that's why we got exposed, not because we were. I think know, we were overvalued. Yeah. I mean, you could say we were. you could say we were slightly overvalued. And yeah. this team got tested really for the for the first time against an elite team this year. And, you know, I know we were there the past two years. Uh, look at the, the flip side of it. You know, Clemson comes into that game last year with a chip on their shoulders. They have a lot of uh, seniors and graduating juniors who have been there, they've been the leaders of the team, and, and they have an edge, right? They're coming into that game for revenge. A lot of the guys that played in this game on this team, they weren't necessarily in that position last year. You got it reversed. You had the Alabama players coming in and doing that this year. And that, that does... Uh, speak to it somewhat. Uh, that being said, the talent on the field, it's, I mean, look at this, the star rankings. I mean, it, it trends in Alabama's favor when it comes to that. We just, I mean, they came and they hit us in the nose and we didn't have a response to it. It's as simple as that. Alabama was the better team. Yeah, and all I was saying is it's not an indictment on the ACC um, by looking at their bowl record. It's it's more just in this game, in this matchup, and and most matchups that Alabama will, will be in, they're going to they're gonna do what they did. That's Cody, I, I kind of want to pivot us here to sort of the, the episode at hand, what we want to talk through. And I think what you just touched on is interesting. Like, um, was this just a bad matchup for Clemson or should we as fans look into this as maybe is there more to it? Is this a statement or a referendum, if you will, on the state of both of these programs? Maybe that's one thing we can explore with this. But, you know, really at the top, I think we also want to look at like, why did we lose? You know, kind of looking at what were maybe some symptoms that you saw that that might reveal themselves and be like, oh man, you know, if that had gone better specifically, you know, we might this might have been a different outcome versus like what actually was the root cause for some of some of that those results on the field. And then really what I what I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on is could things actually have gone differently in this game? You know, call it coaching, call it game plan, call it scheme. Um, with the talent that was brought on the field, you know, in recruiting, et cetera, um, how many times out of ten, let's say, does Clemson beat Alabama? You know, what, is, what, is, what do the outcomes look like like that? Well, from what I saw from that team on Monday night, Clemson went zero out of ten. And I think it, well, it goes down to the sheer ineptitude on offense. 
Um, it wasn't even close. And I don't see any way that this team could have schemed any differently uh, to beat this Alabama team. I mean, it's, it's on many levels of the offense. It's not just any one position group. It's an aggregate. I mean, everybody, you know, didn't play well from the offensive line to Kelly Bryant. Um, Tavian Feaster at running back. I don't even know. Like, if he doesn't turn it around, get it going next year, it might be a loss. Um, and then Kelly Bryant didn't play great. Had his worst game of the year. So, I mean, it's a lot of different things. You can't, you can't point to the defense at all. They played a heck of a game, considering that they were giving crappy field position and they were on the field so much because the offense couldn't move the ball. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, Tavian Feaster, I think he looked a little slow in this game, but that's what Alabama, especially when they're, the scheme that they were in, what they had, I guess, crafted up for us. So just maybe take a second to say what, or see what I saw, or I'm sorry, to tell you what I saw. It was, for one, they did a single high safety, meaning they, they were able to do um, like man coverage on the, along the, from their defensive backs. And then basically spy, that leaves one guy to spy Kelly Bryant and or Tavian Feaster while, while rushing four and wreaking havoc with just four all game. Yeah, and that was so, part of the problem, letting them wreak havoc just rushing four. And then, I mean, essentially what you're telling me is they did not respect Kelly Bryant's ability to throw the it, ball. Exactly. So, like, my takeaway was it wasn't what Bryant did or didn't do in this one because some people said he made some plays and he did this and that. It wasn't what he didn't do. It's what he's unable to do right. that allowed them to scheme against us and then exploit him. And basically they made a bet, I think you said earlier, they made a bet that if we can get enough pressure on him, and give him no time. He's not going to be able to process enough downfield to make make plays consistently. And I mean, to say that make plays consistently, to make any plays at all. Yeah, and we were talking about this on, on the game night. We were watching the game, making a comparison to Deshaun Watson. When Deshaun Watson's out there in situations like that, it's like a controlled chaos. He knows what he's doing. Kelly Bryant, it was just utter chaos. As soon as things started to break down, he got happy feet made bad decisions, he ran with the ball, and he wouldn't throw it away when he was going out of bounds. Like, he's just not on the same level mentally as a quarterback that Sean Watson was. Um, but it's, it's not just on Kelly Bryant. Um, he has his warts, absolutely. But starting with the offensive line, they played a horrible game. They were letting – I mean, Mitch Hyatt didn't play well either. And that's, you know, the best offensive line we've had in years in Clemson. So offensive line, that's, I think that's I where wanna, you start getting the pressure. Because if you, if you can protect Kelly Bryant and give him time, he's a much better quarterback. We veered in the direction of Kelly Bryant. Let's stick here for just a bit. Um, with, with KB, like, it, what, he has his words, yeah. And I, I'm going to echo what you said. Like, it wasn't his fault. And after re-watching it, I was really surprised at how, how well he actually – all the plays he actually made in the first and second half, really, um, he was not that bad. Um, it's it's more again what they could game plan to do to us. Right. And the, and by the way, we talked about him by comparing him to Deshaun Watson. Like Deshaun Watson could do things in the run game, and everyone says for some reason KB has become the superior runner. And I think there's a confusion out in Clemson circles, like the the distinction between like a capable runner and a, a runner that you're willing to to throw to make to let run every play versus a good runner, which is what Deshaun Watson is. KB isn't that. He, he slows his momentum down. He can't accelerate again. Um, he doesn't have great vision when he's running. Uh, when the pocket is collapsing, he doesn't have a great sense of awareness where he can scramble and find open open yards. That's what Deshaun was great at. And like you said, in the chaos that Alabama brings, that's where that's where that skill set can really, you know, really um, exploit Alabama. And in this one, it was the exact opposite. And let's let's be fair to Kelly Bryant. I don't think we win this game with Deshaun Watson behind center. I think we do. Not, yeah. with, not without I offensive line play. Do. Not yeah. without Mike Williams, not without Wayne Gallman, and not without better offensive line play. It's not – Alabama was much better than that. Listen, Bill, you can't just look to Kelly Bryant. Like, no, other no, no, no. It's just team. to say that that's well, – I, mean, that's I, just I view the offensive of line play as a symptom, and Alabama clued in on the root cause of Kelly Bryant not being able to handle the pressure. But they couldn't block anybody. You have to block somebody. It, it you was, can throw into the coverage. You can, I mean, there's, you can evade, again, I know you've got, you know, 300 pound D lineman coming at you, but again, I'm not, I'm not absolving the entire offensive line here, particularly the right side. Um, but I, again, I, I kind of go back to why was that effective? They didn't respect what Kelly Brown could do with his arm. Yeah. And well, and it goes back to what Cody said. It's not what he didn't do. It's what he can't do. Um, and that's the limitation Clemson will have to look at moving forward with two five-star quarterbacks on the roster going into the spring. Uh, you know, we've seen, you've seen Dabo every time Clemson suffers some type of big loss like this. He makes significant changes. I think you're going to look to one of those significant changes this year is going into 
the spring game or the spring practice with that quarterback competition wide open. Because I can tell you this right now, and they must they better be telling Kelly Bryant this already, is that he's not an NFL quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. He just doesn't have the skill set. Can he do something else? Absolutely. He's an incredible athlete. Um, but he's not an NFL quarterback. And you've got probably two, at least two other NFL quarterbacks on your roster coming into the spring. I think it, that's one of the big moves and starts there. Yeah, and again, we're we're harping on Kelly, and, I, and actually, again, I th- there's interconnectivity with uh, you know things are connected in football. The offensive line will benefit from a from a Deshaun Watson type quarterback. The quarterback will be- obviously benefit from a better offensive line. Those things have synergy, as they say. So with with Kelly Bryant, though, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think he's going to be an NFL quarterback, and it's not that. You just have to have a a, a good quarterback to beat Bama. There's always right. going to be a talent discrepancy. And that goes into a like a heavy root cause there and in, in recruiting, but when they're better for you, when the blue when the blue chip rating is is there's that much of a disparity, and, and there probably will be, even though we're improving in recruiting, but they just they get 25 person classes, we get you know we get 18 person classes. This the math like works out in their favor. So anyway, I, you you need that trump card and a great quarterback. You have two uh, like ready to go. I mean, it's nothing against Kelly Bryant. Like you know, all credit to him for getting the most out of his skill set and his limitations, but there's probably better options coming. And, well, I want to talk year. a little bit about this game in particular and what you just said, Cody. And I think for for a Clemson versus an Alabama and the state of the elites in the country, um, maybe maybe we are at a point where Clemson's only really going to compete with Alabama when we do have that generally generational type talent at the quarterback position. And for me, it amounts to generating variance. You know, when when you go up against a team with that type of depth and that that type of elite talent. And again, like this is a Clemson team that lost a lot of guys from last year. A year from now, two years from now, et cetera, like maybe the the gap isn't that big and you don't need like a Deshaun necessarily or, you know, a Cam Cam Newton to beat them. But if you look over the years, the only teams to really knock them off of their title chase have been those elite stud quarterbacks. Yes, they lost to Ole Miss a couple of times, but that didn't ultimately deter those seasons. Um it was it was and the you know, difference the we we mentioned coming into this game how Alabama it tends to struggle in recent history against scrambling quarterbacks. Well, that is true, but most, if not all, of those quarterbacks have also been pretty good passers, and that's the difference in this game. Kelly right. Bryant's a good scrambling quarterback, but he's not a great passer. And I think the reason that I am optimistic, and you know, we're biased here on being host of a Clemson podcast, but. Um, Clemson's doing the right things in the way it's approaching its recruiting for the most part in that we're swinging for the fences with the right type of quarterback talent. You know, we got, like you said, two, two five stars on, you know, on the team already and elsewhere, you know, in the defense and skill positions, we've been recruiting pretty well. Yeah, and that's, that's still building. So maybe today we can't beat Bama where they are without a generational talent. But that doesn't mean in two years this thing hasn't completely materialized where Clemson has been on a run for so long. You got the the new all the new athletic facilities and everything, and you have all this elite talent coming in. We have like five five stars th- this year. Yeah, it's it's more yeah, it's like that concentration of high upside talent. Whereas like you you look at our rosters one to eighty five um in two thousand fifteen, well, we had our, you know, the backside of that eighty five on our special teams unit and you could see the discrepancy in, in right. that talent. However, they're still like one to fifty, or you know, you could say one to thirty. They're going to generally be better than us in terms of talent. They're just going to get more of those blue chippers. We are we are closing that gap a bit, but right now it seems like like kind of your point, Tully. Like the secret sauce or the formula to beating Bama is to get the most out of your really good players, their generational type talents. And now we have two on the roster, or one that just departed for the NFL, and that's the quarterback. And Ben, quarterback, another quarterback yeah. thought. Well, I'm just saying, number one, in, we're just trying to tell it like we see it and be honest here. Uh, I do want to say, as for Kelly Bryant, really, really proud of the kid. He played tough this year. He was the, the person on the team that we consistently said all year long that he's the one guy we can't afford to lose. So in, in as much as his deficiencies um, at the quarterback position played a part in us not having a chance in this game, his play all year long was a big part of why we were in this game. So I just want to say kudos to him. But you remember, I mean, we're not just losing Deshaun Watson from last year. There was no two better wide receivers on this team than Mike Williams and Artavis Scott from last year. There's no better running back at this point on this team than Wayne Gallman. There's no better tight end 
than Jordan Leggett. So, I mean, you look at all those big pieces of the puzzle that we lost. It's not just one or two guys. It's five guys. I would argue that the skill talent, yeah, it was better last year. Mike Williams alone, and I guess you can throw in Jordan Leggett, but to me, that's that had very little to do in this outcome. And and you're and yeah, it was it would be better to throw to Mike Williams and Deion Kane. And I, I really don't think between Eddie and Etienne, excuse me, and, and Feaster to Goleman, there's not that big. More of it's more pass protection. But honestly, I I, I think it had a lot to do with some well, of the finer pass points. pass protection by the running backs was a huge problem in this in this game. Yeah, because like they had the the catch twenty two. We've got to put Etienne in there because he's the only one that's explosive enough to not get tackled at the line of scrimmage. Right. And but we got to leave him in there, probably hurt, and he causes or he misses his assignment. But you know, again, he's got four guys rushing past our offensive lineman. He doesn't know which guy to pick up. He's because, a true freshman. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like which guy's going to get past his man? It's probably going to be two of the four, and you know, he didn't know which one to choose. Well, and for me, I mean, we've we've beaten Just the quarterback. Of them, we've beaten the quarterback point to death at this point. Um, I think in this game, another a couple other things that happened that really hurt our chances at you know a crazy comeback. And we found ourselves at halftime down a touchdown. And those are the kind of games where you, again, when you're, when you're outmatched, and this is not to kind of um, regurgitate what Dabo was saying, but you need to find yourself with very high-variance plays. And unfortunately, I think Clemson, yes, ETN went out. He was one of our high-variance you know, areas where maybe we had a mashup edge. The other was T. Higgins. T. Higgins went out with, I don't even know if they disclosed his ankle he injury yet. He had an ankle injury in the week leading, uh, leading up to the game, and he tweaked it on that one sure. play where we saw him come down grabbing his ankle. So those were the two guys with explosive plays that you can kind of, you know, again, um, punch back, you know, even the score, you know, potentially pull ahead or keep it keep it close where you could get, you know, some turnover luck turn in your favor. Um, unfortunately, it went the other way against us. But, you know, having those things also happen, you know, definitely, I think, killed any and, type of and shot. And those guys are true freshmen. Look on the bright side. Right, we're relying on those kids heavily in this game, and they're true freshmen. We have them for at least another two years. So, again, we have to. It's good to be humbled and not have everything come easy. Um, I, I think I, I don't want to ever become like an Alabama fan where you just expect, uh, or when you win, it's not as an emotional um, or anything like that. Now, that being said, I would love to win every year. Uh, but you do have to keep yourself in check sometimes. I think this is one of those moments. This is still a, a great Clemson football team. It's one of the probably top five in the country. And they'll be back again next year. Two comments. We have to then. learn from this game and move on. I agree with you with like the, the you know, sort of over serious kind of approach that they tend to have. And you and I saw that firsthand walking out of the stadium in Phoenix after they won the Natty. I mean, I saw I saw frowny faces on Alabama fans, you know, walking out of there. I think they maybe thought it was too close or I have no idea why they were not. Know, happier but i think you know from all reports i read alabama fans were over the moon about this win i think what that tells me is number one it's the revenge they, factor. revenge factor but they also they didn't appreciate losing last year and, and i think now they you know they appreciated it more and secondly i actually think they feared clemson and i actually think they were at least the fan base was also i mean you know they're not doubting saban by any means but i think they they had some degree of shit you know if we lose this game like what does that say you know is there a little bit of, I don't know, just kind of a changing of is the dynasty the on the downhill? Yeah, exactly. Right? And <laughs> again, I, we talked about like, is this is this a referendum on the direction of both programs and the state of both programs? Like, I don't think it is as much. I mean, I, it's not entirely a game you look at in a vacuum. And next year we might we might blow them off the field. I don't yeah, necessarily it, see it, that. No, but. we were both in the college football playoff three years in a row, and Alabama what was in the, the year before that too. So no, both programs are doing just fine. Um, this is a game where, again, Alabama was the better team top to bottom. They were better coached, and they just played better and wanted it more. I'm not saying Clemson players didn't want it, but Alabama players wanted it more. Tilly, I want to go back to what you said about high-variance plays. And to me, and we've heard a number of – we've seen a number of comments on message boards, and I'm sure you see it on Twitter – like play calling, play calling, play calling. That's always the very lazy narrative about, you know, when a play doesn't go – the outcome of a play doesn't go your way – you're going to say, why didn't they call a better, you know, why did they call a better play screenplay instead? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's don't be that dumb fan. But at the same time, there was an element of game game planning, which early on, I think we opened up very conservative. And then at some point adjustments within game that I don't think we were quick to, to make, but for one, when six, I think the first six plays three, three and outs, it was very vanilla 
There was nothing like yeah. that Kelly Bryant looked at more than than uh, five yards downfield. But, but let's first start with the, talking about the strategy of running the ball up the middle into the heart of Alabama's defense on the first play of both of those drives. We've, we've said it and, and documented this all year long, that Clemson's offense is at its worst when it's not able to gain positive yardage, significant part of positive yardage on first down, setting up for second and third and long situations. And what the offense has been doing very well the last couple games leading into this game is they were throwing the ball often and early on early drives, on the first you know few drives of the game, and they were scoring points off of it. So why would you run into the best part of Alabama's defense instead of doing some of the other things that you have that have made you successful the past couple of games? I just don't I don't see the point of doing that. Like that's where I question the play calling. Now other stuff as the game goes on, your offensive line can't block anybody. You're limited in what you can do play calling, but running the ball up the middle uh, to, to, to right off the bat doesn't give you any momentum or anything, and it's just not going to be successful against Alabama's defense. I mean, it was, it's, it's to keep them honest. Um, I, I don't agree with continually going to it, but at the same time, like you, you're going to get a few yards here and there, and it's better than getting negative yards, which was unfortunately the outcome. Did, bit, did we get yards, though? Or t- uh, yeah, a few times. Um, with EDN, we were able to get but a I, few. But I'm talking about those first two drives of the game, very critical drives to get off to a good start. Um, especially when you take the ball in the opening kickoff. But, I mean, it's like the offense was dead in the water uh, as soon as after that first play, and you said it was second, third, and long. I know you'll have the Kane drop, and people will try to blame things on Kane. Well, he had some other big catches in this game, so this game wasn't on Kane. But play-calling-wise, those are the things that I look at. I just don't think that was the wisest play call. Like you said, vanilla and conservative. I don't think you can start off this game vanilla conservative conservative against Alabama's defense. To me, it was it was we're going to fill them out early. We're going to be conservative, and we're going we're going to do what we did all year. We're going to play Clemson football, and you know, worked against Miami. It worked against BC. It worked. But against- what worked against Miami and South Carolina was throwing the ball right off the bat to kickoff games, and we were scoring. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. They should have did more slants, and again, that's a credit. That's a big thing, a big part of this. Alabama took us out of everything we wanted to do. They were. They were defending our slants and those routes right at the line of scrimmage. It was it was beautiful. Um, I mean that that's on that's them being physical and being well coached and well prepared. And I, I think Cody. I mean, if it, I have not rewatched the game, it sounds like you have. And unfortunately, you know, in, yeah. into the third fourth quarter, I stopped kind of watching the ball and started looking at the coverages Alabama was running. And on the interception play that um, they took it to the house, I believe Jennings um, took it to the house. You know, it was pretty clear Kelly was going to, to his first option and basically telegraphing throws and pulled the linebacker into the play. And, you know, that one got popped up in the air and took it to the house. Like it just felt like, um, even the, even the slant plays or the quick passing plays, you know, if it's, it just felt kind of like they could guess what, what was going to be run. Yeah. It, that's, I mean, essentially that's what they were, they were doing. You could tell they were, they had watched a lot of tape. The analysts had dug into a lot of film and they, they were ready for it. The other thing I noticed was anytime Kelly Bryant turned his, um, his backside to a, to one side of the field, the opposite uh, cover corner, whether that be field or boundary, would take off towards the play, towards the ball. Basically, they had, I guess, looked up on film and saw on film that whenever Kelly Bryant turns one way, he can't redirect and, and, and scope out the, whole, the other side of the field to make a play. So they were prepared. That was a little, little wrinkle they threw in. And uh, the other thing, of course, was anytime we went play action or went zone read or that, that could have – led to an RPO, they had Mika Fitzpatrick, who was lined up on either Hunter Renfro in the slot or on the other side, he would take off towards the ball. So that would give them a, you know, a five-man blitz, and Kelly Bryant, while he's in the, the motion of play action, that gives him even less time. A guy that's already quick kind of process, processing things, that, gives, that cuts down even more time on that. So essentially, I mean, Clemson was not being creative, it seems like. They didn't come into this game with any new wrinkles on offense. It sounds like they were, like you said, going to do what Clemson does, um, and try to feel the game out and methodically move the ball down the field. Didn't work. Same plan didn't work. You give Nick Saban that much time to prepare. Um, if you don't change things up a little bit, then that is going to come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, and honestly, the only thing I think that – this is all everything Bama was doing to us. They were getting off our blocks. They were Their safety is a monster, Mika Fitzpatrick. The other one, Ronnie Harrison, is, is unbelievable. That was them, what they did to us. Not nothing that we could have done. Our perimeter blocking was soft. God, it was so soft. So and let's 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 talk about the offensive line. I mean, because they don't get an out on this because they played terrible. They were all night. they were they were really bad. How are they beaten so bad? I mean, this is supposed to be one of the most talented offensive lines that Clemson's had in a long time, and they got annihilated. 
talent discrepancy. And, and, and this is not the same yeah. Alabama defensive line from last year, and they're also suffering losses at linebacker. Their top two pass rushers came back in this game, number one, and they came back healthy. But they hadn't good. played since like the beginning of the year. Aren't they a little bit rusty? They're, pardon my French, fucking good football players. And this entire Bama D-line, yeah, they're not, they're not the household names you had last year, but they're still five, four or five-star guys. But this offensive line is pretty much the same offensive line you had last year. What happened? Yeah, but they blocked last year. They were we were able to keep them on their heels because we had a capable passer. I mean, we were doing quick slants, hitches, like over and over and over, and that that allowed them that they couldn't pin their ears back with Kelly Bryant. You, they could pin their ears back, and I remember I think I told one of you guys during the game, like, wow, they're getting they're having sending a crazy amount of pressure. When I rewatched it, they weren't sending hardly any pressure. It was really four they were rushing most most so, of the so entire that game. Means the offensive line was not blocking well. They're just yeah, getting beat. They would throw in some stunts and it threw us off. Or Mitch Hyatt or um, or Taylor Hearn would be late to pull to the opposite side. And so this kind of leads me to to my next big thing of thinking of what Dabo may end up doing in the offseason uh, to make a change on this team. What's the future of Robbie Caldwell look like? I you know, I don't know. I, apparently from all accounts, he's a really good Offensive line coach. I can't say that. I mean, there's some negative recruiting that goes on out there. I don't know if any of any of it has to do with him. So I don't, and I don't necessarily think. And there's also that he doesn't develop, or that we don't guys, develop guys and put them in the NFL. Yeah, and they come in as three star. You know, like well, they, a lot of times you don't end up in the NFL. So I don't think that's on him. And I, I don't, just, I, yeah, I'll just say. I mean, we'll see how um, Alabama does this weekend. And I think they they do have some guys who got injured in this game, um, so they not be may not be at full depth, but. Bama's D-line might be the best in the country or second best, let's say, behind Clemson. Yeah. Uh, you know, with that type of pressure they were able to get and what they were doing with Minka, like, could any O-line, you know, protect their court with, with this type of quarterback or limitations? I just, I don't know. I don't know that. I think you can block a hell of a lot better than they block, especially if you only bring four. It's four against five. And then a wandering running back in the backfield <laughs> can't decide which of the three guys that got through to hit it wasn't it wasn't good and i think right tackle specifically is a bit of an issue that's where sean pollard resides in. and he's struggled a bit at times this year he has and in the thing about him and i've always wondered this when i watched him his tape coming out of high school i'm like god he's gonna be a really good guard he's gonna be a we're gonna do great in the run game because he's gonna be a, an elite guard and then they moved him to tackle and i'm like holy crap and I think Quacking Tiger said something on Twitter or somewhere on the interwebs. Uh, he, he said next year with Carmen coming in, if Hyatt were to stay, it might make most sense to move him back into guard where he could be potentially an elite player. I just don't think he has quite the quickness to be a, a really good right tackle, which, I mean, he, he's going to be serviceable. He's only a sophomore, but Mitch Hyatt coming back, landing would be huge. And then, of course, landing Jackson Carmen. Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway um, as far as guys coming. And we'll talk about this on the defense, but as far as guys coming back on the offense, Mitch Hyatt is obviously um, the golden piece of that puzzle. Um, other guys, you know, Deion Kane decides to go pro. I don't think he should, uh, but if he decides to go pro, we have no drop off at wide receiver. We have guys to take his place, guys coming in. Um, the running backs should be in good hands next year, but along the offensive line, if you see Mitch Hyatt go, you got Hearn going, you got Crowder going, you got Maverick Morris going be some holes in that offensive line next year getting him back would be huge yeah and that's why ever i always like we needed a cape may so we lost that on cape may so we were very very lucky to get yeah. jackson carmen yeah. and, and all i hear from certain clemson fans are you know Dabo will figure it out and he couldn't figure it out on on monday night and that's what recruiting is and that's that's what we have to line ourselves up for in years going forward because you don't just like they, they don't just grow on trees you don't develop uh you're, it's very rare to get a tremaine Ancrum. You're lucky if you get one in every like three or four classes. Yeah, it's a lot harder to get a 350-pound guy to be athletic, 300, 350-pound guy to be athletic and coordinated, right? You can be big, but you need to have those other um, those other characteristics as well. Right. And I guess, Tully, to your point, Alabama's – everyone was sleeping on Alabama's defensive line. They were really, really good. Like, almost as good as ours. Deron Payne is, is unbelievable. Uh, Deshaun Hen was the number one overall player. He's their – senior defensive end that, you know, killed Mylon Richard on one play. Well, I'm not questioning him now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really good. Evans was a beast. Uh, I think he matched up against um, Hyatt and won a lot of those matchups. I mean, I think what this goes to show for me is, yes, we, this line, handled their business against a ferocious top 10 Miami defense, top five Virginia Tech defense. But college football right now has so much variance between 
the top one to two teams in the country, that there could even be that type of talent drop off to the next two teams that are in the top five, top 10 is real. And Alabama to me exemplifies that, that until proven otherwise in any given year, you know, we should kind of expect when we face them to hit that type of defensive line talent. Yeah. Listen, they're still the gold standard of college football, even if they don't win it this year. Um, the fact that they're there every single year and in the conversation, again, it's really hard to win back to back national championships. Alabama is the only team that's done it since the mid nineties. Um, so they'll be there. And, you know, Dabo has modeled his program in part after, uh, Programs yeah, like Alabama. Turn up seed. Yeah, and look, it's working, right? It is working. Uh, just because we lost this year doesn't mean it's the it's, it's over with. Future's, yeah. future's still bright. I, I will go back, and we I think we touched a little bit on the high variance thing. In that, it, maybe a, kind of a criticism or critique on the offensive side of the ball this year is is that we didn't do a lot in those games to look for explosive plays to create some downfield passing. What, whatever those explosive plays were, we didn't do a lot. We we try to go vanilla. And we thought on some level that we could play the you know kind of law of averages if we have more talent than you, play conservative and and that that talent will win out. But we couldn't do that against Bama. And we, we needed that maybe we, high variance play. We and maybe we were also yeah, I think three guys on this show at some point this year we were all saying um, we're trying to you know keep keep some of it under right. our, in the playbook. <laughs> if like we don't have to use it, it if we don't have to put it out there on tape, why do it? And I think part of that might be, and maybe this is where you're going with it, Cody, is like. All we would do is put more weaknesses out there, potentially. Yeah, because we can't right. do it. Right. It was yeah. It wasn't that we weren't putting stuff on tape. It's that we didn't have anything to put on tape. Uh, yeah. You that, want, exactly. You want to show that you can't do but it. But I wasn't 100 percent sure either way. But I, I think I am now. Mm. Oh, I am. Yeah. I think we all are. And you know, this is not our season recap episode. We kind of gave out season awards a couple weeks ago. Um, my prediction of Cornell Powell winning the winning the, the Natty for us did not come come through. Um, Listen, when a, when year. Alex Spence is your offensive player of the game, you got problems. True. I mean, yeah, maybe we can take this chance to pivot this a little bit and talk about what went right in this game for Clemson. Um, you know, so there are several performances that I definitely want to make sure we touch on. Uh, but yeah, let's start with Alex Spence. I mean, um, incredible high pressure moments when nothing really is going right for you. Uh, you know, Weasley could have gotten goose egged in this game and he came through twice for us. And really, especially on the first time, that brought us to within the touchdown that going into half that you know could have made a big big difference. And then he brought us to within 10-6. And weren't they both plus 40-yard field goals? Yeah, they were. And really the second one, I think, for me, was it was amazing he made that kick. And you know that, that gave us a lot of hope there, especially the way the defense was playing. But to turn them over, to really punch them in the mouth coming out of half and get that, get that turnover... What a lost opportunity for the offense to try and put seven on the board, take a lead, um, or I'm sorry, tie the game up um, at that point. I mean, as, as bad as they played in that moment, you really thought that we had a chance. Um, uh, but then it just, it just all downhill from there. You know, the, again, the defense, they played an incredible game. They did the best they can do. Just, you can't do anything but put this one squarely on the shoulders of the offense. Yeah, you totally you said you've seen some people on Twitter and other places saying that the defense played bad. That's absolutely not the case. Yeah, critique, critiquing certain plays in certain moments and like, you know, we nearly had a sack, you know, but then uh, Hertz got away and threw it and Ridley caught a touchdown pass. Like, you know, we put them on a short field that many times, they're going to score points. Their, their offense really, I mean, if, if you want to take away the two interceptions, the points scored off of those, we held them to 10 points, you know, in a playoff game. It's incredible. Look at the Rose Bowl. There were 110 points scored. Yeah, um, you just can't make mistakes in, uh, against a team like Alabama and expect your defense to be able to hold up the entire game. It's just not going to happen. Players that stood out to me, I want to take my hat off to Van Smith. I thought I had an amazing game. Absolutely. He was hitting hard, boy. Yeah, and in pass coverage, too. Broke up that flea flicker. I mean, uh, you know, at that moment, we had a couple of couple kind of signs there where I was like, look, Lane Kiffin is not there to call the back-breaking play. Like, did we disrupt kind of their trick play of the game. They always pull one, pull one or two out of those against us. When it two, They pull one or two of those out against us, and, and we disrupted that one thanks to Van Smith. Unfortunately, throwing it to their 300-pound lineman was their other trick play that worked like, to a <laughs> that team. Was, and there was a missed, was egregious great. holding call, pick play, truly a pick play. Um, Listen, but, refs in college football have not been calling 
offensive holding all year long. Like, it's been ridiculous. I mean, we've noticed it many times against Clemson where it's been egregious, but I've seen it in other games too. I don't know what's up, but that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, th- I think the defense, to your, your point, it was it was amazing. Uh, they were great. I was really surprised at how physical Alabama's offensive line and their and their and their perimeter blocking. Those guys were they're well coached. They're I mean, it's just the advantage of having talent. Um, uh, like, I mean, we have a lot of wide receiver talent. Um, they have like they have the tight end blocking, and they have receivers that are more are more prone. I guess they recruit more for that. They're more prone and more willing to block. So. And that's something that maybe we can kind of take to the drawing board during the offseason. But, uh, but no, our defense was incredible. Kendall Joseph played uh, probably his best game of the year. He was fresh. You could tell. He, he's so active. I, I presume he's going to come back next year. And Dorian O'Daniel, what a going away. Even though we'll forget about it, he was, he was unbelievable. He looked like the best linebacker probably on the field uh, on Monday night. Uh, if there's any criti- like criticism to the defense is that I think whenever we drop – whenever we put in some of the second – to your guys, there's a drop off. You could definitely see the drop off, and not having Trey Lamar start hurt. So, so why was Trey Lamar? He was suited up for this game, but he didn't get a snap. I was yeah, really, I, I was some, really surprised to see that. I don't, I there's some misleading info coming from Holly Rowe as well that he was healthy, good to go, but clearly they would not have had Skalski in on as many plays or going with rolling with JD Davis as a starter. You, you kind of heard things trickle out about JD Davis had earned his playing time, and look, I can't really argue with that, but. Not a healthy Trey Lamar puts you in yeah, the best position no. to win. Trey Lamar is by far the superior linebacker if he's healthy, even if he's like 90%. So something else must have been going on. That stinger, uh, you know what they say about stingers, Once you, if you play with it injured and you have repeated uh, hits to that, that injured part of your body, that weakens your muscles over time. So I think, I mean, it, it wasn't discipline. We would have heard about that. Um, so it must have been something to do with his health because I just don't believe that, that J.D. Davis, like you said, when healthy – uh, with a healthy Trey Lamar, the J.D. Davis is the better player. But that being said, guys. Especially not even the log snaps. Yeah. I, that being said, I mean, yes, they they were inferior to what Trey Lamar healthy would bring, but I don't necessarily know that having, again, we're talking about 10 points here that, you know, our defense let up. And no, no, no. Having, having Trey Lamar would not have made a difference oh, in the game. The offense yeah. sucked. Exactly. And, you know, we held Alabama's running backs to 3.4 yards per carry. Which is they, amazing. They did not have more than a 20-yard play on this game, which is also amazing considering the number that this offense runs up. And we held their whole offense to four yards per play. Like, incredible Herculean effort from our defense. 24 points, usually for a Clemson team in a Clemson game. Like, that's enough to to secure the win, especially considering there were, you know, seven scored immediately off a turnover and then another seven off of, um, you know, kind of the... The other one, the other interception. So yeah, unfortunately though, you could tell after the first half, and I said this, Cody, first team to twenty is going to win that ball game. It happened quickly too. You know, after the uh, after the third and fifteen in the third quarter, after we after we turned them over, then got sacked or lost yardage, and we had a chance. We we're trying to score, obviously, to flip the momentum and actually take the lead, and or I guess we're, at that point it was to tie. Excuse me. Um, that's when Dabo got mad at Kelly Bryant because he did he didn't throw downfield and I never and we haven't seen him get in Kelly Bryant's face all year like that yelling at Brandon Streeter. I don't think that rattled him, but that was from that point on the next play is or the next drive is when the turnover. I've occurred. seen him get after Kelly Bryant a couple times this year, but you're right. I mean that was that was a pivotal moment, and you generally do not see Dabo um, express emotion like that to players on the I mean, sideline unless they do like some type of stupid Andy teased all stuff. Yes, something like that, or like a personal foul, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Cody, on that next series, that was the ETN um, miss block. We'll call it that. That essentially it was a sack that the ball flipped directly into um, what's his name's hands. Yeah, uh, Payne. Yeah, yeah Payne. Duran Payne. Exactly. So, the horse collar. Yeah. Um, and the horse collar, which was a bogus that, call. That was yeah. That's um, not a horse collar. So, anyway, blah. We. Uh, We've recanted probably all the, the low points of this game. Well, let's let so let's. I mean, I guess while we're talking about the defense, I think what you know, we talked about Mitch Hyatt him possibly coming back. What do you think the result of this game? What effect that it has on guys like Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, uh, Christian Wilkins on possibly coming back next year? Let's start with Christian Wilkins. If you've seen, hopefully you guys have been able to see. There is an interview that was released. Um, I think you could see in his face. He did not want to have his Clemson time go out like this, but you could kind of tell this was the end of his run at Clemson. 
um, a lot of emotion in his voice. I mean, that dude's a complete warrior. And um, so I think he, he's gone. I don't think that's like a crazy bold take on it's, my part. It's interesting though. Like the, the guys that when guys are going to leave, they usually come out with it pretty quick. You saw a guy like Taylor Hearn come out, at, you know, after the season was over. Um, TJ Green did it right after the game two years ago, et cetera. Yeah, he, he was a fourth year guy. I don't, I don't know. I think it's out of respect to not be a distraction to the team is more so why he didn't announce. And by the time this is published, maybe he'll announce that he's coming back to school. But I, I, I highly, highly doubt that. Well, what about the other guys? I mean, Farrell, Bryant. I, Farrell, I mean, you have to think about it like this. Uh, Wilkins is already a first round pick, like a solid. If and once he gets in the interview room, that he's going to solidify probably the top. Uh, part of the top half of the first round. Cleveland Farrell is also widely considered a first round right. pick as well. Like, I don't know why you Austin would turn Brian, probably a third. I think so. Yeah. Maybe a little higher, it's, maybe a little lower. Maybe, maybe the power ranger mentality. They, they all know they never go all three play again. Right. Especially with Dexter Lawrence. I, if it's football, man. It's too, it's too fleeting. You got to go make your money, become a millionaire, we, generational we, wealth. I, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. And I'll be a homer here, but we've seen Dabo do it before. And the only reason I make a case for guys to come back is is to improve your stock. I never make a case to get your degree. Um, you can always do that after you're a millionaire. Absolutely. Cody, here we go. Over under on the number of D linemen who are juniors, 0.5. Uh, over. I'll buy a point. All right. So <laughs> you think one of them will stay? Uh, yeah. I think one will probably stay, and it'll probably be Austin Bryant. Because Dabo's going to be recruiting him. But yeah. I would not be surprised if all three left. And I think yeah. I'm pretty certain that two will go, being Clee and Wilkins. Yeah. How I about mean, Mitch? Those are the guys of their first round grade. So, yeah, I think they're, they're the most likely for sure. I mean, did this game, A, impact Mitch Hyatt's potential draft stock, and or B, get in, get in his head about coming back? I don't, does he, he probably doesn't grade out as a first round uh, pick right now, does he? he do, I don't think he's graded out as a first round pick his whole career. But I think here's the thing. I think he's topped out. He had a ceiling probably sometime in his freshman year, probably more so his second year. He hasn't really improved. I don't know if he has a lot more growth in his in his game. I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes you just are what you are. He's not a physical specimen. So he is a second round pick. And I don't see how coming back would necessarily make his stock go up any higher. So particularly if we stick with the same kind of coaching coaching staff. I mean, if potentially you brought somebody else in to help out with the line, Maybe a specialist that could change things, but I, yeah. I don't, it's just hard to get more athletic once you kind of are who you are at this point. And he's not going to grow any taller, his arms any longer. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yes, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> I'm, I'm going all three defensive linemen coming back just because I can. Just if I'm wrong, oh well, I was wrong. Everybody saw that coming. But if I'm right, taking credit for it. If we can get two of those four, it'll be. A very exciting preseason going into the year. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with all the talent we have coming in. Do you guys think there'll be any other unexpected departures? I mean, I guess in terms of who would be eligible for that. I can see, especially if Deion Kane comes back, I can see some wide receivers um, looking to move on. Possibly a guy like Cornell Powell. Possibly a guy like Trevion Thompson. You mean in terms of a transfer? Well, we don't exactly. want to be the rumor mill, but I will say uh, there are some rumblings uh, that Deion Kane is probably going to look That's He's leaning that direction of the NFL. And uh, I don't think Kendall Joseph is going to go, but he is a fourth-year guy. And I, 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 I He'd be know. a regretted attrition surprise, but I would, certainly I would, I would love to see him stay, man. Yeah, we God, really can love, use him. love Kendall Joseph. And, and Van Smith is the other, even though he's not ready. There, um, I, I've heard some rumblings that he may leave as well. Okay, yeah, so again, not starting rumors, but yeah. Uh, yeah, not on the transfer wire. Like, we don't, that's, that's, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think it is a valid question as far as transfers. You see this type of attrition every single year. Yeah. But I would, I look to the wide receiver group. Um, I look possibly, I don't know if I necessarily see it, maybe a cornerback. Well, that we have a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, it, it's a pretty a poor snaps. job. Yeah, someone's got to be really upset with their situation if if they're willing. So to Ryan leave. Carter's gone, and but from all of, from the sounds of things, Anthony Williams is poised to step in there and make next year and uh, make a big impact. Not to mention you got AJ Terrell. Yeah, and you guys are gonna love Kyler McMichael. He is he's a good one, freshman coming in or senior in high school right now. But 
Well, guys, let's pivot back to this Alabama game. Anything else to say on the Sugar Bowl? We will certainly, we've got a whole offseason ahead of us dig into the 2018 team. Uh, we've got a remaining recruiting class to finish signing, but any parting thoughts on this, this, this Sugar Bowl? Uh, you know, the better team won, and that's the fact of the matter. And I don't feel any worse about this team after this loss. Uh, I congratulate them on the great year that they had. We all had predicted them winning or losing two to three games this year. They lost two, and that second one came in the college football playoff semifinals. So you can't knock them for that. I mean, congrats to all these kids. Proud of the way they played. Proud of the way they bounced back after that loss to Syracuse. And hats off to Alabama. They're a very talented, well-coached football team. They were the better team. They won the game. Hope we get them next year. Yeah, all I got to say is I think the the one takeaway going into – uh, the off season, and we have to realize that we probably will see some some departures, and there's our defensive line will not be a stout next year, regardless of, of what happens. Um, so I, I think we have to we do have to say we're gonna our formula has got to be through great greatness at quarterback, it, I'm, and I'm not writing Kelly Bryan off just yet, but I think it's an open competition at quarterback in the spring. I think it has to be. I think Hunter Johnson's probably at this point in his his development, his growth. I think he's probably as good and with, with some upside um, that would probably make him better, well, a better upside, option. The upside being an accurate, capable passer. Yeah. And sort of the way I look at it is like, and it's possible Kelly can continue to develop. And you did see a leap in performance, you know, from, from the likes of a guy like Lamar Jackson going from his, his red shirt freshman year into the second year. Um, but I think if, if Kelly is what he is, even if he can get, you know, 30% better, we go back to the, you know, what you need to expect from a generational talent at quarterback. And I think you, you kind of do need to make an investment in the next guy. One of the five stars to be able to say like, if we are going to climb the mountain again, it's going to be with one of these guys, not necessarily Kelly. Well, especially if Kelly Bryant, again, does not project as an NFL quarterback. He also has to do best, what's best for the kid. And Hey, we needed an elite tight end. Um, so I'll throw that out there. Uh, the other guy, let me look at real quick. Uh, notice that Ray Ray was wearing number 21 in that game. It's very, uh, possible that they could flip him over to a full-time starting cornerback next year, uh, knowing that he projects better there into the NFL than he does as a wide receiver. Yeah. And Amari Rogers can certainly pick up. Exactly. Pick up the slack that's, that's, that position. that's a very likely possibility. So again, going back to the cornerback situation, and I think David Hood, and David Hood said he's hearing rumblings of of Ray Ray coming back. So well, Ray Ray's already said he, yeah, yeah he said yeah. after the game that he's coming back. Well, the, the key there is Darian Kendra could be, uh, he's coming in as a freshman. He might be getting a fifth star. He could sure. be as close to Sammy as we've seen. So that's another guy in that two position. It would be, it would really suit Clemson well. And I think Ray Ray well for him to move to that side of the ball. And I, I think you see that with him immediately coming out and saying that he's going to come back. I think he sees the writing on the wall and he's been so willing uh, to move over to cornerback and has accepted that. I think the coaches is, are, are giving him the best information they can. And it's like, hey, you can be a great NFL football player, and that's a cornerback, not wide receiver. A lot of storylines here. We will dig into those over the next few months. Um, for me, I just want to throw some parting thoughts out about this year and this team. Um, one of the open questions we had coming into the year was, and this was maybe more coming from national pundits or South Carolina fans or Alabama fans or whoever, was like, yeah, I want to see you guys do something without Deshaun. And I think this team, these players, this coaching staff, what they delivered, silenced doubts about the staying power of this program among the elites in the country. And, you know, we will continue to remain among that group. Don't know if we're the top program in the country. I think over the last four weeks, Clemson fans certainly thought that we were, and there was a changing of the guard. And I'm, I'm here to say that's not true yet, but we're, we're certainly right there in the convo. And for Clemson to get there... We need to have, you know, the next incarnation of Deshaun. And we got a couple guys on the roster. Yeah, like I don't think Hunter Johnson is the next Deshaun, but could could he develop and end up being good enough? Could Trevor Lawrence be good enough? I think well, so. And it's not necessarily. It's just really a more well-rounded football team. We just got one. We got two one-dimensional and one big aspect of the game. And remember, this was a very, very young football team. A Six lot of, seniors. Exactly. I mean, a lot of guys are going to come back next year with very, very good experience. Guys, yeah, it's what's going to happen. There's not going to be a lot of seniors from here on out because our best players are going to leave after three years. So and that, I don't. That's I don't a think, good thing. That's I don't like that as like a good stat. It's not a good indicator of future success. Uh, but you also have a lot of really young guys, true freshmen, playing, and they can't leave after their first yeah. year. So that getting that experience helps. Having ETN with that much experience, um, 
having some of these guys on defense with really good experience and the wide receiver position, I think it helps. But Cody, I mean, I looked at the stats. Someone tweeted this out. Like Alabama had something like 28 seniors on their team this year. They send a shitload of guys to the league. Georgia's in the 30s. Um, I mean, I, I agree we're going to send our best guys to the league, but maybe it's just a weird aberration with this specific class and the way things lined up. But again, I, Ben, I think you're right. Just, it's a young team. It'll continue to develop. Yeah, the sky's not falling, guys. We're, we'll, we'll be all right. Um, other thoughts, I guess. I mean, you know, we need to look back, and we're still, like, in this great run. You know, Clemson won its third consecutive conference title. We held the number one ranking for a good part of this season. I'm not going to take that for granted. I came up in the Tommy Bowden era, started in the Tommy West era, caring about this team. So, number one, we didn't sniff that till two years ago. I mean, we're still this still means a lot. And I think, you know, Five years from now, when we look back at the 2017 team, 2017 into now 2018, I think we're going to say we got to see some of the best ever at Clemson to lace them up at linebacker, certainly at the defensive line positions. Uh, Left tackle Mitch Hyatt, he's got to be a top five all-time Clemson lineman, right? So getting to see that, you know, seeing these guys kind of in their prime do their thing, pretty special. And a lot of highlights, too. And to be able to follow these guys into their NFL careers – there's a lot of Clemson, a lot of talented Clemson guys in the NFL right now, and that trend is going to continue um, into the future. Um, so just following them and watching their success, that's really awesome too, knowing that they went to your school. So, I mean, it, I'm not old enough to really remember the end of the Danny Ford era, so I wasn't uh, really aware of the greatness of Clemson football during that time period. I remember Ken Hatfield and everything that came after that. Um, leading up until this. So I, I certainly cherish this and I have a lot of respect and really appreciate uh, the players and coaches and what everybody puts into making this um, a really great football program. And it's, it's been awesome to see. If you're, if you're younger than 25 right now, as a Clemson fan, whether you're a recent grad or if you're in, uh, if you're in school right now, you, you probably don't know what the heck just happened. You haven't seen a, a, a loss like that since, I mean, 2014 kind of, but you know, like- West Virginia, now, I think Georgia 2014 or Florida State 2013. Yeah. Well, well assuming they weren't uh, quite in the, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe like someone in college right now, they, they wouldn't have experienced that game. Right, but right. Th- this is like, what the heck just happened? So, like, it's something that we were pretty accustomed to uh, back in the day. I'd say, actually, I mean, I'll take exception to that. I, this was not that type of a blowout. Of either the Orange Bowl or the no, Florida no, State it's game, not actually. to say that it was a blowout. Yeah, yeah, it's sure. to say that there like hasn't been a, there hasn't a, been an outcome like this. A bad, ugly in loss, recent years yeah, for sure, where it wasn't even really close. I mean, the scoreboard it was closer than it. I mean, Alabama was a much better. I'm just saying we totally. don't we haven't done this. There's no Clemson team that's done this since probably 2013. And granted, it's not anywhere close to Florida State, but you know what I'm saying. Mm. This right. is the standard. Take your lumps and move on. Spring practice is uh, right around the corner. Guess uh, who eyes are going to be on that spring game. And quarterback battle. Trevor Lawrence and his hair. Guys, who wins UGA uh, versus Bama? SEC Conference Championship. I haven't allowed myself or, you know, torture myself enough to think about that matchup yet. But my money, I mean, we got to hear about these Alabama injuries. I don't know how extensive they are. But, yeah, I, I got I to gotta go with the Tide. I think they win. South Carolina fans win, Cody. <laughs> they, they, they've already won. <laughs> the collective SEC <laughs> Um, I was I was I was really impressed by Georgia and their mentality to be able to bounce back um, after being in a couple situations where Oklahoma had the chance to really put that game away. Um, so I was really impressed by them. That being said, I just think Alabama, having been there the last several years and been there before, and listen, Georgia has a freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, against this Alabama defense. I think Alabama has the edge in this game. Yeah, he. I don't think Fromm can deliver enough on those third and longs, and Alabama's defense is fresh. They look good. Um, probably it will be the best defense they've played all year. Georgia's played all year. So, yeah, I, I think Alabama probably by two scores. Let me ask, Is there does it make a difference at all, or is there sort of a mentality recruiting angle to Georgia losing this game? You know, I want to say, I want to say that um, Georgia – doesn't need any more men- momentum, but I mean, how can it how can it not help it, it, winning like, this game? 
Because they have one of like maybe the sixth best recruiting class of all time. I don't know if there's any. If they, I think they've hit their ceiling. I don't know if it could help anymore. Yeah, guys Can't hurt, but it, it, I don't know if the it guys help. are either going to go there at this point or they're not. I think being in the game it speaks to itself because yeah, Kirby Sparks exactly. would be able to point the fact that this is his second what, second year with the program, and you know they're they're building something great there. The same way Dabo was able to do that um, a- after our first national championship game appearance uh, a couple years ago, um, or his first. So. Yeah, I don't, you know, maybe if anything, if guys are on the fence between Alabama and Georgia, if Alabama wins, maybe they go there. But it's not. Thought, I mean, kids aren't going to swing to Clemson if Georgia loses. My, my thought, though, just like for the mentality of college football now is like if Alabama wins this game, there's just like the my guy, like they continue to be the juggernaut. And like they're this there's this continued specter of Alabama that um, it, number one, I think it helps Clemson that we got over on them. If you get Georgia all of a sudden, are you like, man, now there's like this dual powerhouse you know, dichotomy going on. Um, I don't know. I think I'm definitely reading too much into it. Well, look at all these national champions just floating between the states of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. Um, that focus is squarely on the Southeast. Um, Florida? Uh, Florida State won. The states of Florida. Five years ago. Uh, well, still it matters. You're seeing all these national champions come from one very specific part of the country, and I think you may see that trend. Is this a Southern brag? Continue. No, I'm just I'm pointing I'm out with right I'm now. pointing out facts. When's the last time? When do you think? When you can see the Pac-12 being relevant again? UCLA has Chip Kelly. USC. Yeah, Michigan has Jim Harbaugh. USC has the number two best class by average star rating. What has that done for them lately? They haven't had the number two. Class. They've had high, yes, they have. They've it's had highly. Future, they've had highly ranking. ranked classes. USC is. They also had sanctions. Yeah, now we're missing scholarships. That was a while ago. Come on. I think they just got off sanctions last year. Anyway, uh, things are cyclical in this sport. And I, yeah, that's all I got. I'm just pointing at recent history and facts. I think Wisconsin got gypped by not making it to the playoff. So let's, let's briefly talk about that. If Wisconsin beats Ohio State and we play Wisconsin, are we moving on? Yeah, of course. I think we do. I mean, they did look really strong against Miami. But, but we annihilated Miami. Yeah, I mean, they, they won pretty handily, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see that matchup. I think it'd be a really fun time. Um, I don't. I also, I mean, Ben, you asked us how would we have fared against Georgia or Oklahoma um, as well. And I kind of, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I, do I think we could have held up in a, in a, in a shootout like that in the Rose Bowl? Um, Maybe against Oklahoma's defense, it would have been a really interesting game. We would have seen some really fun Clemson play in that game. ETM would have scored um, every time he touched the ball. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I mean, beyond not being able to go to the Rose Bowl and watch Clemson play there and have the short travel distance for us out here in California, that's definitely a bummer. Um, and we would have seen a hell of a game on our hands. I think the real question, and I'm kind of bummed that we won't get to see it, is us against Georgia. I think that would have been just such a fun matchup. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, their defense is not as good as Alabama's, in my opinion. So, or at least their preparation would not have been right, especially um, with a short week, for or, sure, or just one week. Exactly. So, well, let's look on the bright side. We're not as broke. That's right. So, I guess, guys, that's a good enough place to stop. As any, I guess that concludes our Sugar Bowl recap. Our cherry on top of this, you know, great but ultimately somewhat disappointing finish to a solid season. Uh, but thank you all for tuning in. Uh, ben, you got anything else to add? Uh, yeah. So as we transition now um, out of the football season, we're still going to be obviously focusing on football. We got recruiting national signing day part two coming up and then we'll get into spring practice. Um, but then we also got basketball ongoing. And if you've heard our episodes we've had with uh, our, uh, our basketball co-host Sam so far, we'll be bringing him back, probably get back on it next week. The Clemson men's basketball team, uh, 13 and one. 2-0 in the ACC, they ranked 25, had a big uh, win on the road against a good Boston College team tonight. Uh, that was awesome to see. So it's, it's great to come out of this football loss and actually have uh, uh, basketball as a consolation prize and to see them be playing so well and have something to be excited about. So um, kudos to that basketball team. And Dante Grantham has been playing great. I didn't think he had it in him, but uh, congrats to him. So we'll get into that with Sam. Then we have baseball coming up. Um, a lot of exciting things out of Monty Lee's team in his third season. We'll look forward to that. And then finally, uh, thank you to everybody who listens to the show and has given us 
uh, so much love and uh, just fan interaction throughout the year. I have to say this is, you know, this is our third year doing this and I think this is our most successful uh, year yet. Uh, we were probably hanging around about 500 listeners our first year. We got up to two to 3,000 last year, but that was helped by um, you know, advertising on, on TigerNet. Uh, there's nothing against TigerNet. We decided to go against that this year just to try to be more organic because we, you know, we, we look at all. Clemson. We're lazy. That's not. We, we didn't send it to them. <laughs> well, no, but we, we look at all Clemson media, right? It's not any one source. So we like to spread the love to everybody we get the information from. Um, but that being said, we still had a very successful year. Uh, a lot of listens over the 2000 uh Listen, listen or mark on average and we really appreciate that we, we do this because you guys are so great you continue to listen and you tell us how much you love the show and uh, yeah we just appreciate that so thanks thanks uh, guys for a great 2017 football season we'll look forward to doing more in 2018 um, yeah and I guess our next show you touched on doing basketball I think we'll probably um, try to fit a good amount <laughs> well last year we basically took a big hiatus we will not do that this year then you mentioned we're going to do some signing day stuff, but I think beyond that, we'll we'll try to dig into some more kind of uh, esoteric topics with the football team. Um, maybe do some mailbag stuff. Hopefully, get some interviews. So stay tuned for that stuff. I think you know the, the off season is a really good time for us to not be you know so close to the action and doing recaps, but really be a little bit more reflective on what is the state of the program, kind of what are some areas of recruiting or player development we like to see this team and and its coaching staff focus on. So. Um, I really look look forward to those things, and, um, but you know, mostly also take some time off of football and get our Saturdays back. So, Cody, I'm going to make you say something here. What do you got? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great season. Uh, thank you to all the listeners, as Ben said. And um, yeah, it's it really is. It's going to be exciting. We'll have Quacking Tiger on for the recap of National Signing Day. Spring football will be here before you know it. What's a topic you want to explore in the off season? Um, I think. I always love state of the program. I think um, maybe uh, ranking Clemson now, uh, their eliteness. Like, where do they rank uh, in terms of the top programs? I always like to do like a four-year look back window, and then like kind of a four-year forecast mm. into the future. And uh, I think you know, I think we're definitely top five now. Where you know, where do we where do we kind of sit in the top three now? Maybe perhaps. And I think if we look back two or three years ago, we're in the top fifteen, and we're pretty happy about that. So we've we've moved up the ladder really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, Last thing for me, I'm sad to say that we're having to retire the Bulwer outro. After, well, with this episode, he will not be on. We have to give up that national title claim. <laughs> well, Central Florida earned it, so congrats True. to them. <laughs> uh, well, with that, guys, thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate it. And as always, go Tigers. Shut up, Ben. I want to go back to what you said about high variance plays. And to me, and we've heard a number of, we've seen a number of comments on message boards, and I'm sure you see it on Twitter, like play calling, play calling, play calling. That's always the very lazy narrative about, you know, when a play doesn't go, the outcome of a play doesn't go your way, you're going to say play calling. Why did they call a better, you know? Why did they call a better play? Call screenplay instead. Yeah, Yeah. like that's, don't be that dumb fan. But... Um, at the same time, there was an element to uh, kind of game planning and strategy um, in terms of like, going conservative, going vanilla early, early on. Like strategy a word? Is it? It was on SNL. Will Ferrell is George W. Bush strategy, I believe is the word you're looking for. <laughs> so, probably not. Can we cut that? I just called fans dumb and then I said strategy like in the next sentence. <laughs> <laughs>